Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. I'm Randy, and today's guest is someone I've known for quite some time. It's Robin Daniels. He's the CMO of a company called Matterport. Matterport's really cool because they're helping us give a glimpse into retail environments, homes, etc., in a world where we feel so disconnected. So a real relevant disruption organization. And that's a big part of how Robin's approached his career, is finding companies, as he puts it, where he gets to bring people together in one way or another. And he's done that with some really amazing brands. He was at Salesforce and got to work on their Chatter product, a very early version in my mind of what Slack and Teams are today. You know, but he headed on to Box. That's where I first connected with him. We were actually doing some cool co-marketing with Box around an integration we had at the time. We started chatting about marketing for the first time. And that's where him and I really connect is the opportunity to educate on disruption and what a product could be. He went on to do that at some other really cool companies. One of them that we hit on today, joining WeWork at obviously a very tricky time between 2018 to 2019, but doing so as a CMO. What was that experience like? We hit on that and then we kind of wrapped this all together around how do you take the right lens to product marketing? How do you use product marketing when your product can mean so many different things to so many different buyers? How do you unite it in a way where, as he puts it, we look at it as a circle. We define it differently you know, from different angles, but perhaps at the end of the day, it has to be to really scale that same product end of day. Anyways, this is a great chat. Can't wait for you to tune in. My discussion kicks off with Robin Daniels right now. Robin, thanks so much for finding time to chat with us. I know you're in a different time zone, which we'll hit on as we dig in here, but tell us how you landed into this opportunity as CMO at Matterport. So it's good to be here and it's good to see you, Randy, uh, even though we are separated by an ocean, literally, and many time zones. Uh, I always enjoy your posts and your podcast, and I'm really excited to be chatting with you. So I ended up at Matterport, you know, for the last year before joining Matterport, I was over at WeWork. I was the chief marketing officer at WeWork. At WeWork, I was actually introduced to Matterport as a technology that we were starting to use at WeWork to virtualize all our spaces because, you know, a lot of the, the, the thing that we were doing at WeWork was we were showing people around our office spaces for them to get a feel for what it was like to actually put their companies in there. And of course, the thinking was, well, what if a company didn't have to go to 5, 10, 20 different offices and locations, which cost a lot of money, time, and so on, but they could do it all through their computer. And so we started using Matterport in some of our locations, and we were just we just loved the technology. And I thought, this is an amazing technology. But I didn't honestly think more about it uh, at that point in time, which is something that we were using. So you know, the story about Matterport um, is, is that I after, after WeWork, and after I left, which is, I think has been well documented, all the things that happened at WeWork, which yeah, we'll dig in we'll we'll into there. Yeah. So, so after I left, I decided, okay, I am going to take some time off because it was the most intense year of my life being at WeWork. Super fun, but also super intense, as you can imagine. And so, in that period of time, I said I'm going to focus on mentorship, advisory work, just talking to a lot of companies to see what's out there. 
And I kid you not, I was probably speaking to 80 or 90 companies, close to 100 companies. I had this spreadsheet that I kept track of. And it was just, it was not like to join the companies. It was just to actually get to know them and see if I could be of any help. And of course, some of those conversations ended up being, are you interested in joining? I was introduced finally to the CEO of Matterport, and they were looking for a CMO, and we really just hit it off. First, it was in, in, I think it was in December of 2019, and then we met again, and then we met again. We kept meeting up, and there was just amazing synergy in both how we saw the world, how we saw go-to-market. And then at some point, he said, you know what? I think you should join the company, really. Like, you know, we're looking, and you're your perfect profile for what we're looking for. You should meet more of the team. So I started meeting more of the team. And then I, I ended up, you know, we had finally ended up saying, okay, let's do this. But then I, I accepted the job right as the pandemic was hitting. And so it was weird because I joined then on March 23rd, you know, lockdown happened in the US at least on March 16th. So I hadn't met anybody in my team. I hadn't really met anybody in the, in the executive team, either just the CEO and a few of the other uh, kind of peers. And so it's a, it's a weird, weird way to start up. But I, but I ended up going to Matterport. And for those of you who don't know what Matterport is, we're a spatial data company. We, our mission is really to scan and index the entire bill world. So if you ever bought a house or an apartment or you know, trying to buy office space online, you want to do a virtual tour, the likelihood of it being our technology is very, very high. So we both sell the camera and we also sell the technology platform, the SaaS service, to actually virtualize that experience and then share it with anybody you want. But you can make it engaging, interactive. And we're seeing incredible use cases now in retail who are saying, let's put our stores online because people can't come visit, integrated with e-commerce. Schools are putting their, their classrooms online because kids can't go to school. So we're seeing incredible use cases of virtualizing a physical space and making people experience that from the comfort of their home. It's an exciting time to enter a company like that. And, and for them as well, I'm sure, needing to reinvent themselves in some ways, as you outlined, having that fresh perspective that, that you bring. I want to go a little bit further back through your career and, you know, you, you look, if, if anyone were to look you up on LinkedIn, you know, your resume is amazing. I mean, some of the brands that you've gotten to work with or earned the opportunity to work with, uh, you know, even just to mention Salesforce or heading global enterprise product marketing over at Box. I mean, these are opportunities that most people would do anything to have. They also line you up to do whatever you want. So how, how did you think about transitioning to a CMO and what type of company you wanted to be with first? There's a, there's a lot to unpack there. You know, I, I've always known from the, my, the early days of my career that I wanted to be a head of marketing at some point in time. And I actually set the goal that by when I was 35, I was going to be a head of marketing. I'm 42 today. I have no shame in like admitting that, you know, so, uh, and, and I made that goal. But so I tried to very deliberately focus my career on the right steps to get me there. You know, now in hindsight, when I'm a little, hopefully older and wiser, I, I think, you know, sometimes I might have chosen a company maybe for the wrong reasons, title or money or prestige or short versus what really makes me happy. And I'll get to that later. But I really got my career. You know, I moved from Copenhagen, Denmark when I was 21. I didn't have a job or a place to stay. I've never been to California. And I, I just wanted to go be part of the, 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 the magic of Silicon Valley. And I ended up in a small startup company. And I had an incredible boss. Her name was Elise Zimmerman, and she was the VP of marketing. And she hired me to be a web programmer. I was responsible for the website and taking what the product team was doing and putting it on a website in a, in a compelling way. And she just said, you know what, you're, you're decent with this programming thing, design thing, but you're really much better at like the messaging. You should be a product marketing manager. And I'm like, I have no idea what that is. Tell me what that is. And, and she, then she put me on the path of becoming a product marketing manager. 
And I always, I just credit her so much with me getting to where I am because she saw something in me that I didn't see myself. And I've always tried to think about that as I've gotten more senior in my career, how can I take a chance on people who just need somebody to believe in them or see something in them? But anyway, so she, she saw something in me, the whole market crashed, that company didn't make it. I went to another company that didn't make it. Pretty, pretty dire times because of the dot-com bust. But I ended up at a company called Veritas in 2001. And they were one of the few companies at that point in time that was actually steadily growing year over year. I think it was about 25, 30% year over year. And I was given responsibility from a product marketing perspective for one of their emerging product lines. And that's when I had, I had a great mentor at that company. And that's when I really got a sense for the power of what marketing could really do. Um, and I, I really, I think, honed my craft to become a better product marketing in terms of messaging, in terms of how to actually engage with sales, how to engage with customers, how to think about competitive positioning and all those things. But I'll say when you then fast forward, instead of like spending time on every little detail, I, I finally en ended up at Salesforce. It was a company I admired for a long time. Absolutely. And, and I, ended, I ended up there in 2007, even though I'd actually applied to join the company a year before. But at that point in time, you know, I applied for a director level position and I'd never been a director before. And they said, we really like you. We like your energy. We like your smarts, but you're just not senior enough to be a director. And back then, actually, my name was Robin Gertson because I hadn't changed my name yet. When I changed my name, when I married my wife uh, and I took her last name. It, a, a new position came up about a year later, and then they reached out to me and said, hey, we'd like to talk to you about this, this product marketing role. And I said, well, I just talked to you last year. You rejected me last year. And they said, oh, really? But, but you had a different last name. Are you the same person? So I said, yeah, I'm the same person. So they checked internally, like, yeah, everybody remembers you. They really had great things to say. They thought you were a little too junior at that point in time for that level of role. But really, everybody remembers you, and they, we'd like you to actually come in for this role. So the second time, it was a super easy process because a lot of the work and i would say at salesforce is really when i saw my career take off because early enough at a company with an incredible visionary mark benioff surrounded by the most incredible marketing team i've, I've nearly ever worked with in my life like the navy seals of marketing who, who just got how to actually make positioning relevant fun human and that's why i really honed my skills to become i think you know like the top tier of product marketing and it's because there was this amazing team surrounding me, but I also got the opportunity to really lead. So leading Chatter Product Marketing was when I saw the inflection point in my career. When I think back of it, I think of it this way. I gave it my all at that point in time at Salesforce. I'm like, I'm being given this opportunity. It's kind of like uh, the Hamilton story, you know, my shot. I, was, I kept thinking about this is my shot. <laughs> I love that song. <laughs> yeah, I love that song. It's my shot to really propel my career. These shots don't come along very often, so you got to make the most of it. So I gave it my all. Uh, you know, I worked my ass off, traveling all the time, but it was not without honestly consequences. I didn't see my my family a lot. I didn't see my kid a lot at that point in time. It's also why I ended up leaving, not because I didn't like Salesforce or the role or the job. It's just like I got to rebalance my life. I, I focused too much on the work, and I had to rebalance. So I took some time off. And uh, and actually like traveled the world, hung out with the family for a couple of months. It was just it was gorgeous. It was gorgeous. That's great. <laughs> so if, if I look at some of these stops and even that Salesforce one that you talked about in Chatter, for those who don't remember Chatter and never used it, it was it's kind of like a, an earlier version of Slack and Microsoft Teams and everything that that we all live on now. Early for its time, you know. And you fast forward to your time at Box. I mean. Back in, in 2011, Box was still a relatively new way for us to think about 
where we store files. So this focus you've had on product marketing and embracing products as, as they take off, did that, you know, back to my earlier question on, on choosing that CMO path. I mean, companies like WeWork, you know, as much as it's a, an interesting company with what's happened, it was a very different business model. Is that totally, the part totally. that intrigues you? Is it this opportunity to, to lead disruption? So I've been, I have always loved working with technologies that bring people together. And so when you think about what Chatter really does, it's a communication and collaboration tool, kind of like Facebook, for, but for internally. So as you said, an early Slack, an early version of a lot of these tools that we use today. And it's so funny, so many of my ex-Chatter buddies, they're like always like, oh, this is Slack is just kind of a modern version, of, which is not wrong, but it's much better. Uh, but, but Chatter was, you know, we called it even Facebook for work, but it was focused on communication, collaboration, teamwork. Then I went to Box and we think about what does Box do? It's all, it's a collaboration tool. I mean, it's just sharing, uploading a file just for yourself, there's value in it, but the value becomes exponential the more people are collaborating and working together on that. So teamwork has been a big part of that. Then I went to a company called Vera, which was a, a cybersecurity company. And, you know, I'd been leading marketing before in various iterations, but I've never led all of it. It was my first time leading all of marketing. And it was a very conscious choice to go with a really small company. It was eight people. I was the first hire in business because I wanted to have an, a, a, a chance to really prove myself and also have a CEO who said, you know, I don't have all the answers. Just go figure it out. Because if you go into a company, I had offers to come in at later stage companies, but I know if you go into a late stage company, it's kind of expected that you have everything figured out and you just come in and you just do magic. And I was still like, like getting the confidence of being a CMO. So I was at Vera for, for a couple of years and I left not because I didn't like the role of being a CMO. I left because I wasn't in love with the problem we were solving. So I wanted to collaboration routes because I really love working with technologies that bring people together. And so I was talking at that point in time with Asana, with Uber, with Airbnb and LinkedIn. And I love LinkedIn. It's been a transformational force in my life. And I ended up going to LinkedIn because I felt like I could really make a big difference at that company. And if you then fast forward the clock on, on my time at LinkedIn, I wasn't looking to leave LinkedIn. You know, I was very happy there. I think that the company is an amazing company, great culture. And the, the, the notion of bringing people together in such a positive way, I think is very powerful. But then WeWork came along. And WeWork, at the core of it, is also a collaboration, community-based company. Right? They might have a different ver like, like reality of what they sell. I mean, they sell office space. But they were also trying to get into the technology space. They had acquired a bunch of companies that was all about how do we use technology to actually encourage people to communicate, collaborate, and so on. And so my point is this notion of communication and collaboration and bringing people together has been a really strong threat in all the companies I choose. And when you look at Matterport, the whole point of Matterport is... How do we share these amazing spaces so you, Randy, sitting in Toronto can go visit the Louvre and, and actually experience that with your family and friends? And so it's a very collaborative, immersive, emotional journey that I think makes humanity a lot better. And so this notion of collaboration, community, teamwork is something that I just love working with because for me as the marketing leader, it's easier to tell a human story around that. Telling a human story around something that's super infrastructure, DevOps, backend, whatever it is, it's not super easy. And I super admire the, the CMOs who have managed to do that, but it's not easy. It's easier doing it with technology that has that human element. That's great. So last question here before we'll take a break. You know, we, we touched on WeWork in a couple of different ways. I, I'm sure people who look at the timeline and, and have heard us even hinted it 
you you entered and left during very interesting times where we were, you know, it's still a company with massive value, yes. but a lot of challenges. You know, how do you how do you look back on that decision now, mm-hmm. having gone through it and, and having been able to find something that you you seem fully motivated by again? Yeah, so it's it's um I'll tell you when they first reached out to me, I first said no, because I was again at LinkedIn, very happy, a company I love. And then they 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 kept chipping away at me. And I ended up having a conversation with a very senior leader over there about it. And they were telling me a little bit about the magic that was happening there, but I was still a little bit skeptical, honestly. What happened then, this was in the, in the fall of 2018, I have this group of uh, CMO friends that we hang out with. And like once a quarter, we go to dinner. And so, of course, we don't do it right now because of the pandemic, but we used to go to dinner every quarter. And it's like six, seven of us. And uh, we always talk about just like what's happening, how we're feeling about things, which companies do we admire. And I kid you not, this this conversation, one of the, the, the topics that came up were, if you could choose any company to work for right now, who would you work for? And, right. I, didn't, and I, I didn't, I hadn't told anybody at this dinner that I was actually like starting to talk to WeWork a little bit. Or they were reaching out to me. Three out of the six people who were there said WeWork. They said if they could choose any company to work for, they would choose WeWork. And I was like, am I missing something? Is this really like the company that is going to change the world? And they were all describing just the brand and this growth they were having and so i said okay after this i'm gonna i'm gonna go talk to WeWork a little bit more so i ended up having a little bit more of a deeper conversation and then i ended up still being skeptical and they said hey you should just meet adam adam is in town in san francisco you should come meet with him he's a great personality and you know if anybody's ever seen or read anything about Adam, he is a great personality in some ways he can convince anybody of anything and it was a great conversation he talked about just the growth and what they were trying to be. They weren't just trying to sell office space. You know, now I think now in hindsight, it's pretty apparent that they do sell office space. But at that point in time, they're selling community. We were trying to sell a better world where people were actually could be the best version of themselves. And that really attracted me because coming from LinkedIn, which is a very positive social network, this is like a physical manifestation of that. Getting people together and bringing the best out in people in a physical way. And I just love that idea. Plus, they offered me a great role, so I, I said yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, it's it's interesting how worlds collide. I mean, if only everyone at that table was seeing Zoom, uh, you know, so true. where you would have been pushed. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. You just never know. You never know. And I don't regret. I mean, I, I wish I wish we worked no hard feelings. You know, I wish it had ended differently. I wish it for everyone who has been there and worked their ass off. But I love my time at WeWork. And I hope that they succeed because I still think that the idea of bringing more happiness and joy to people at work, the world still needs that. Absolutely. Well, like you said, I mean, there's there's a long road ahead for that that concept and, you know, the world we're going to go back to. We're going to take a short break here. We'll be right back with Robin to chat a little bit about the buyer journey on the marketer's journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences.
So I'm really interested in Robin's focus in his career, which is all around this idea, as he put it, bringing people together and creating connectivity. But what's interesting there to me is it doesn't mean that we have to stay in one industry in our career. We just have to find a theme, something that we're passionate about, something that strings it all together. If you look at his opportunity at WeWork, very different, obviously, than looking at his time at Box or Salesforce. And even within those, as much as they sound similar, very different products, ways to ultimately bring people together though. And I think what's interesting is he highlights his career is that his opportunity at Matterport where he is today came through the ability of them to service him as a CMO at WeWork. So there's this opportunity for us when we look at our careers to find ways to string it all together. It doesn't mean we have to stay in one company, it doesn't mean we have to stay in one industry, but sometimes there's a comfort of becoming an expert in an area or a thesis. I think Robin's got this big thesis that he's developing and I'm really excited to see how his career continues to evolve in that way. So Robin, we hit on all the disruption that you've been part of, and, and a big part of disruption is messaging and educating an audience, and that's where your product marketing muscle is going to show. What's it like being a CMO, or maybe even more so working for a CMO who leans so heavy to product marketing, I assume? I think a lot of it comes down to the story you're trying to tell in the market. And one of the things I've done since day one at Matterport is to really hone the story. You know, Matterport is one of the most amazing technology companies I've ever worked for. We have such an advantage when it comes to our IP and our, our moat around what we do. But our story was very, I would say, geeky, very focused on, on us, how great we were. And so storytelling for me has really become more around how do we make it more human and how do we make it more customer centric? How do we speak the language that customers that's relevant to our customers and the various industries that we're going after? But how do we also make it more human, more fun, more relevant? And how do we come across in a way that shows that we care about their story, their success, um, and what they're doing with our technology versus us trying to tell them what to do with their company? Again, I think there's lots of different paths you can take to become a, a CMO, but you're right. I, I came up through the path of product marketing, so I care so much about the messaging and the story that we're trying to put out there and really making that more human. Again, I learned a lot of that from Salesforce, who I think is still one of the best out there when it comes to messaging, even for a product I think is in some ways, a little boring uh, CRM and so on, but, but they've done a great job of making it human and relevant to, to the journey that the buyer goes on. So where, where do you think product marketing plays the most influence at, a, at the companies that you've been with? I mean, if we think of a traditional buyer journey of yeah. something at the top as awareness mm -hmm. through to purchase, and obviously you got discovery and you got the, the deal flow, you know, I think a lot of people think, okay, well, my product marketing is going to have the most impact once they're talking to my sales team. They're going to need all that collateral. How do you have your product marketers work with different members of the funnel? I mean, I could be biased, Randy, maybe, but I think product marketing influences all of it because they're the ones who are really the, the owner of the, the core messaging. Now, there are many permutations of that. You know, if you think about it, you have a circle and you have your messaging inside that circle. Then at the edge of that circle, you might modify it a little bit depending on the, the audience you go to. So if you're going through press, you're going through analyst relations, you're going to think about category creation, you're thinking about influencer marketing, you're thinking about sales, you're thinking about customers. They're all permutations. Maybe they differ 
five, 10, 20% slightly and so on, but, but they should be consistent at the core and product marketing is about making it consistent at the core. And that's at all levels because it's really weird, I think, to tell a story at the highest level, at the top of the funnel, and then it's super disconnected at the bottom of the funnel when you're trying to get somebody by. It has to be completely connected. And the team that has the most overview over that journey is product marketing. It doesn't mean that they're the ones running all of it. They're not, they're, they're not necessarily experts in PR or in demand gen and all those things, but they are the ones who should make sure that the messaging is consistent throughout all the different channels that we use. How do you kind of layer that on top of the reality today of, of different buyers? Uh, you know, a lot of us cha are challenged with this mindset that we have to personalize to every buyer in a different way. And sometimes as we know, buying committees can be 10 people or more each of them need a little bit of a different pitch. So is this just different angles looking at that circle that you described, uh, where it's the same circle, but you know you see it from a different light at, at certain sides? I mean, there's, there's so many ways you can slice and divide up your messaging. And I think it easily gets too complicated, especially I think if, you, if you're trying to run everything uh, based on being perfect, meaning, do you slice it up by geography, by industry, by size of company, by role in company? I mean, if you do all of that, you'll end up with 50 or 100 different permutations of your message. And I don't think that's necessarily scalable or very healthy. So you, you figure out, you know, who are the people that you're trying to influence the most? Who's the most important per person in that buying journey? And then you, I think, hone most of your message to that person. But you also give that person the ammunition as you're engaging with that person to go be able to sell the product or service internally to their own team. Because you're right, especially in enterprise space, most decisions are certainly not made in a vacuum. It's 10 people, 20 people. A lot of times the journey is a long journey. A lot of people have to be convinced, but trying to create material that will convince every single person. If you have a huge team, maybe you can do it, but you know it's very rare, even in the biggest companies I've worked for, that you can create that much content. So you choose the most important people. Maybe it's one person, maybe it's two, and then you create your content to that. And then I think you try to simplify it. If you try to create... It for every little geography and every little um, you know, segment segment you go after, oh, a FinServe versus pharmaceutical versus so on. I think it, it gets very hard. doesn't mean you can't do it as you scale. I think you have to, of course, speak the language of the customer. But I think that happens through sales a little bit more than it necessarily happens through all the messaging that you do. So let's take a real life example. Let's look at where you are today at Matterport and you know, one of the things when I was digging around on the site and, you know, the homepage itself is so captivating that that video, I could just watch over and over and over again. It feels like I'm, I'm going through these experiences and seeing them built. But, you know, when I look at, at the use cases or look at the industries you're selling into, there's there's a huge variety there. Mm -hmm. So as an example for people who, who listened at the first part, you know, this is helping you, you know, with 3D space capture and within that, it can work for retail, but it can also work for the real estate world. Yeah. I mean, those are two very different buyers. Forget about different buyers inside internally, as you hit on. Yeah. Those are different industries. So do you try and paint that circle at the top in a very similar way? Or do you approach the entire product marketing messaging differently in each of those industries? Well, if you, if you look at the, the classical funnel approach, you know, um, where you have top of funnel, middle of funnel, and bottom of funnel. I think at, at the top of the funnel, you try to keep it as simple as possible so people can resonate with what you do. And I think that's where you use a lot of more consumer-ish examples or examples that people can instantly latch onto where you use analogies. You know, we, we are the X for Y, like you see a lot of companies do. 
when it gets to the middle of funnel and you're really, you know, you know, you have somebody and they're engaging with you, you have to start honing your message or else you'll be tone deaf. And so that's what we do at, at Matterport. Um, so we have, you know, specific messaging for certain audiences, but not all audiences or markets for us are created equal. So of course, as you rightly said, real estate for us is a massive one, both residential real estate and commercial real estate. Insurance is big for us. Retail is an up, it's a new one, you know, and it's mostly really, we've seen that be elevated because of the pandemic. All these retailers around the world are thinking to themselves, crap, you know, we can't have people come into our store anymore. What do we do? How do we keep business going? So they're coming to us more proactively than we were originally targeting them. So you have now cost plus world market, just, I don't they sent out gazillion texts and emails to their whole, all their database saying, check out our virtual Christmas store or virtual holiday store. And it was all done with Matterport. John Lewis in the UK also did their virtual uh, holiday store. Very cool. But it's it's honestly, we have not been pushing that message. Now we're starting to think, well, this is this could be really big. And so let's go actually push on it. But you know, with a small team, I mean, the Matterport team is roughly 20 people and you count everybody who, who works there. It's impossible to go chase everything because then you end up gonna do something that's kind of half-assed. And I've never been a big fan of that. And so, we're, so chasing too many things and not being focused enough is kind of a recipe for, for mediocrity. And so we're trying to get the team to team focused and, and as you know, you know, there's in, in, a, in a resurgence of digital growth, there's so many balls we can go after and we're trying to get to just prioritize those. That's great. That's great advice. And I, I think prioritization aligns with what a lot of us as marketers are looking at these days. When you, when you look at trends like account-based marketing, it's, fish with that spear versus net and, and try and go after the ones that are going to bring the, the best chances for your organization. Thanks. Robin, this is a, this has been a, a great combo. We're going to keep you around for one little more bit here. We want to understand on the personal journey side of it. We'll be right back here with Robin Daniels. So in the world that we're currently in, I don't know if product marketing has ever been more important. Let's look at some of the trends that's causing this. Number one is the importance of personalization. A lot of us have invested in account-based marketing and we're all trying to figure out how to make sure that we can deliver the right content to the right person at the right time. But that ultimately boils up to the right messaging, understanding personas in different ways. And we chatted about this a little bit in the podcast and it got me thinking, you know, are you putting product marketing in a way where they can influence, as Robin says, that entire buyer journey? Now, the other area that's really put an importance on product marketing is our need to evolve what we do right now. You know, for a lot of us, our businesses have been impacted either for the good or the bad by the impact of COVID-19. And that means that we have to reposition or re-educate. You, know, you hear Robin talk about, you know, the new ways that people are thinking about using their product. You know, because we can't go into retail environments, because maybe we can't go on a vacation, perhaps we can still get into a museum and have those experiences. These are all shifts. And as much as we quickly want to shift our messaging in ways when it can have that polish that product marketing brings to ensure that we're not impacting the brand in any negative ways by having it too disjointed, there's an opportunity to really rally. So really take a look at the role product marketing is playing for you today. Is it playing enough of a role as Robin's highlighting here? All right, Robin, so in unpacking your career, 
we now know that you've moved to Denmark, which means that you're in this different time zone, started with a new team. You got to be there for them, which kind of means you've always got to be connected or are you setting the right barriers for yourself in this new world? Uh, I am what you would now call remote remote. I am double remote at this point. Uh, and it has definitely been an adjustment in the last couple of months. And I've tried to adjust my schedule in a way so I don't really work too much in the morning. My my day really starts more in the afternoon, like around lunchtime. And then I just work through because a lot of the times I'll go late. Like today I have meetings till about 10 o'clock my time. I try to take breaks to have dinner with the family and so on. I won't lie, it hasn't been without challenges like setting those boundaries because there's just so much going on. When you're in a growth company, there's always more stuff to do. Uh, but I also have a great team that I can rely on who are just doing great work, who are showing up and you know, representing in some of the meetings where I can't go and then reporting back. I think that's one of the lessons of this, this remote world. I'm sure you're probably seeing it and heard it from other companies that you know, people have just a little bit Zoom fatigue. And it's because we always feel the need to always be involved with everything. But you know, it's a, it's a good forcing function, my move, to actually show you don't have to be in every single meeting to still be productive and successful. But then I also try to just you know, say, okay, one universal truth about work and I said this to my team the other day, is that there will always be more of it. There'll always be more work. That's the nature of work. So if you don't focus on taking the time off, you will just burn out. You know, it'll always be more work when you come back. You take off a week or two, there will be more work. And we, we have unlimited vacation, so use it. And we have a holiday now coming up in the U.S., Thanksgiving. I'm going to take some days off because I also, it, it, this applies to me too. I, I need to be better at it as well. As a leader, I need to show to my team that I can also rest and relax and so on. And it becomes, I become a better person by doing so. But I really encourage my team to do as much as that. And when I take off, when we take off, it's hard to, to do that, as, as you know, because you can't really go anywhere. But there's still things you can do. Read a book, shut down your computer to read a book, watch a TV show, go outside for a walk, even if it's raining. Just getting a different outlook on things is so healthy, so healthy. That's great. Great advice. And, and I got to say, I, I'm not usually a book reader, but you know, COVID has pushed me to books and uh, it's really a, a great way to disconnect and also challenge yourself with someone else's thoughts that you can always steal and pull into your work. So uh, nothing wrong with that type of stealing is what I always say. Robin, this has been great. I, I think we've stolen a bunch of ideas from you today as well. I'm, I'm sure people have really appreciate you taking the time to share. Uh, if you've just stumbled on this podcast for the first time, listening to Robin, every week we're chatting with marketers who've gone into that C-level and are sharing their journey. One day I hope you share yours on this podcast. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.